All right, thank you for that. Thank you again for being here this morning. I want to share a thought for, for, for you out of the book of Ezra. Um, years ago when I was, I was reading a book and I read a statement and talking about those that want to uh, serve the Lord, do things for God, and the statement was that God is more concerned with the worker than he is with the work. In other words, when you're trying to work or accomplish something, God's more concerned with who you are than what you accomplish in life. But see, we live in a society that's results-driven. And we really don't care what a person's like as long as they get whatever the results that, that we are looking for. You can be deceitful as a salesman, but that's okay. As long as you get your car sales. I had a guy that was a car salesman some, tell me one time that, you know, they take trade-ins. And he said that what he would tell someone when they came in, they're like, do you have a trade-in? And they would say, yeah. And they're like, what kind of car do you have? And they would tell him what kind of car. He goes, you know what? You know what? I know someone that's looking for that kind of car. And I'm like, that's a lie. He goes, no, it isn't. We have a guy that'll buy every car we get. That's a lie. How many of you know that? Okay. Remember P.T. Barnum, the circus guy. Circuses, I guess, are politically incorrect now. That's a shame. But uh, he, used to, he used to promote all types of things hundreds of years ago, you know, where uh, this is a fish man, and he'd put something together that wasn't true. And they asked him about it, and he said, hey, there's a sucker born every minute. That phrase is his. So there's also, we believe that you can be unfaithful in your life in, in whatever area it is as long as you are successful. You can be irresponsible in your personal duties as long as you aren't in your professional ones. And I'm not trying to be too mean. Uh, Steve Jobs, very famously, he was adopted. I don't know if you knew that, the Apple fame. And he got a girl pregnant, and then he, 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 he denied that it was his child. You would think someone that was adopted would take care of their children. And he did that for about 15, 16 years before he finally let her into his life. Okay, he was a great person when it came to business, but he was not a very good person when it came to his family. I'm just saying that, that, that people don't have to be perfect, but you know what God's ideal for us is that our conduct and our character match. If we're doing something for God, if we're trying to do something that's right and spiritual, it's important that we are right and spiritual in our lives. And we see that with Ezra today in our scripture. Uh, Nehemiah, of course, is a story about the building of the, of the wall uh, uh, around Jerusalem. But before the wall was built around Jerusalem, after the captivity, the temple was rebuilt by Ezra. Now, it doesn't make sense because the wall was more of a physical protection from the enemies of the land, and yet the temple is the first thing to be rebuilt. Of course, we understand that's important because the spiritual is always more important than the physical. And especially for them, if their spiritual was right, then, then their, 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 their physical would be right. So we come to this portion of the book of Ezra, and the temple has been rebuilt, it's about 50 years after that, and Ezra is no longer there, and now he's coming back to, to check on them, and there was some other issues going on, and so he's going to go back to the land to check that out. It is already done. Um, and by the way, those were, were supernatural events that, that God allowed them to do. 
And, and so uh, now that, that the, the, the temple's done and the wall's going to be rebuilt, Ezra comes back to see what is going on. Um, and by the way, it's funny how God uses different individuals, right? Ezra was more of a, of a, a compassionate, uh, a, a more of an introspective guy, and Nehemiah wasn't. Nehemiah was more of, I, I don't say it, they're both men, but Nehemiah was kind of a guy's guy, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, when the people were causing issues, Ezra afflicted himself and pulled his own hair out to show mourning. When the people caused issues, uh, Nehemiah beat them and pulled their hair out. I'm a, Nehemiah, I'm a Nehemiah guy. Someone's gonna get hurt, it's you, not me, amen? Uh, but God used Ezra. How did God use Ezra? How does God use people to fulfill his purpose? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a connection between what Ezra did in his spiritual life. Look at verse 6 and 9. There's two phrases I want to pull out of there. I, I want you to see that. Because Ezra, if you asked him, Ezra, how did God use you? How did you get this done? Ezra would not have said, well, you know, I was really good at organizing, which he probably was. I was really good at planning, which he probably was. He would tell you it's the hand of God in his life. Verse 6 says, I'll just point out a phrase. He said, according, the Bible uses a phrase, according to the hand of the Lord, his God upon him. He said God's hand was on this guy. Verse 9 says the same thing. According to the good hand of his God upon him. In fact, the matter is, in the book of Ezra, six times that phrase is repeated. That God's hand was on Ezra, and that's what led him to be able to do what he did. The point is that as individuals, we should be seeking to build a godly life if we want to accomplish anything good in our life. You cannot get spiritual results in your life if you're not a spiritual individual. You can't get good results in your life if you're not striving to be a good person. Okay, this, You're not a spiritual car salesman. Well, I sold 20 cars this month. I know, and you lied to people and you ripped them off. Not that, uh, There's probably a car salesman in here and you're probably like, hey, are you talking to me? No, I'm not talking to you. I'm good. But it's very important. Ezra had some very key attributes, and they were very simple, that led him on this path of progress to do what God wanted him to do. And we see these principles in verse 10. And when you see them, they're just so simplistic. And they're just so, 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 so easy for us to try to buy into if God's going to work in our life. Here they are. There's four of them. Are you ready? Well, even if you're not, I'm going. So there you go. Number one, prepare your heart. Look at verse 10. He talks about Ezra. Ezra shows up and he says, For Ezra had prepared his heart. If you're going to become the spiritual people that God wants, person that God wants you to be or God wants our church to be, um, people who want to fulfill his will in your life or in our church, we have to have a heart that is prepared to receive everything that God has for us. You see, that is why two people, could, two people you could say were almost identical, they could come to a church service. They could sit in the church service. They could participate in the singing. They could be involved in everything that's going on. They can sit here and hear the same message, 
And one person can go home and God could speak to them and they can apply something to their life that'll be a blessing to them. And the other person, as soon as they get out the doors, it's lunchtime. And they've forgotten everything that's happened, everything that's, that's been said, and they get zero spiritual benefit in their life. Same service, same message. Two people can open their Bibles. They can follow their Bible reading plan. They could read, if you're just going for one, once in a year, the, the three chapters, and one person can get up when they're done and walk out, and they got something that encouraged them and helps them get through the day. The other person gets up, they yawn, they take off, and they forget everything they've heard. Why? Because one person's heart is prepared and the other person's heart is not. How do we prepare our heart? Well, first of all, it starts because we're saved. You see, the, the first step a person needs if they're going to be spiritual is they got to be saved. If we don't know the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, our heart's not prepared because we're, we're not even God's child. There's nothing the Word of God can do in our heart because we don't know Him. But when we know Him, we can be led by God through His Spirit and through His Word. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. One of the signs that we are saved is that God's Spirit tries to speak through us and to lead us in the way that we should go. But we can't do it. See, a, a person that's not saved, they don't have that, and their heart's not going to catch anything. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, But the natural man, that's the person that doesn't know Christ as Savior, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. See, a person that's not saved, the Bible doesn't make sense to them. You look at our society and all the things that are going on, and for those of us that are saved, it's not just spiritual sense, it's common sense. And it's like, how can a person believe that? You know why? They're not saved. You could sit there and debate with them forever. They're not going to get it. We're, by the way, we talk to people about Jesus, we're not there to debate with them about this, that, or the other. They need salvation. That's all they need. And that's the only truth they're going to get because the Spirit of God will convict them of their need of salvation, but you're not going to give them this Bible study. They're going to get all the truth because it's spiritually discerned. Their heart's not ready for that. My heart wasn't ready for it. The things I was going on in my life, I didn't get it, but once I got saved, I got it. It made a lot of sense to me then. Why? Because I was saved. But not only do we receive salvation, then our heart needs to be ready to receive the seed of the word of God. It's got to be ready. A farmer just doesn't go out and haphazardly throw seed everywhere and hope that he gets a crop. What do they do? They turn the dirt. They, they aerate the soil. They make sure it's ready. By the way, I do know this. My in-laws have a farm. I think it's once every seven years they need to change the crop. Because if you do the same thing over and over, you lose the nutrients in the soil and it's not ready. So once every seven years, they got to flip the crop, grow something else for a year, and then go back to what they were growing before. Or else the soil won't be ready to produce fruit. Listen, your heart is the soil for the seed of God, is the seed of the word of God. And if your heart's not ready to receive the soil, it's not going to work. Remember one of the first houses we moved in. We got a house and and uh, uh, and I thought, well, I got it. There was a there was a a, a bald spot over on the dirt, and I thought I, I got to do that. And I kind of tilted a little bit, but not very much. And I put this the grass seed on there, 
And then the next day, there's the birds eating it. It wouldn't catch. I didn't do anything to prepare the dirt enough to, to get the seed. And I'm like, that was an exercise in futility. Yeah, turn that up and dig it and put the seed underneath there where the dumb birds don't get it. You know what some of us need to do? We need to break up that ground in our heart. Sometimes there's things we've allowed in our life that just harden that heart. In the book of Hosea, God told his people who were totally away from him, they said, sow to yourselves in righteousness. They said, start bringing into your life so you can be righteousness, reap in mercy. But he said, here's what they got to do. Break up your fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord. They're like, your heart is hard. You're not receiving anything. You got to break that up. My question is, how's your heart today? Is there anything in your life that's hardening your heart so that the word of God cannot lodge? Here's a verse in James. <clears throat> we'll look at it in a minute again about uh, uh, obeying, but it says, James 1.21, he says, wherefore, and I'll explain it, lay apart, put it away, all filthiness, I think we understand that, filthy living. And then this phrase, suflurity of naughtiness. That just sounds bad. You know what suflurity means? Like overgrowing. That means like the overgrowing of weeds. God says, if you're, if you're, you, you're going to get, now he's talking, and he says, and receive with meekness the engrafted word. It's interesting that he tells them, you got to get rid of the nonsense of your life, then you receive the word of God. Because if you don't try to get those things out of your life, it's competing against the word of God, and guess who wins? The wickedness, the filthiness, the suflurity of naughtiness, it just chokes it out. We preached a whole message on that a, few, a couple months ago from, from Matthew chapter 13. If the word of God, which hel- it's, it is the word of God which helps us to clean up our life. And it's cleaning up our lives that helps us to receive the word of God. You notice that? It's like, wait a minute, you just went in a circle. I know, I got a headache. But it, they go together, right? We got to clean up our lives so we can get the word of God. But it's the word of God that, that cleans up our life. They go together. They're really tied together. That's why it tells us that Peter, add to your faith, and he, and he lists a bunch of different things, and he lists them in order, and the first thing he lists is add to your faith. The first thing is this, virtue. That's how you live. See, if you're not willing to clean up some things, forget it. Now, God will be gracious to you. Don't get me wrong. But God will show you some things, and it's like, that's got to be cleaned up. And if you're not willing to clean it up, guess what? The heart stays hard. And the sea doesn't catch. I have been serving in church ministry for a really long time. And I'll be honest with you, I've seen this played over and over. I'll see people that come in and they may get saved and they get excited about God and they want to go forward. And, and as you go forward, God will start pointing out some things like, hey, clean this up, cowboy. He doesn't say that, but you know. He says, hey, this has got to be cleaned up over here. And at that time, you've got a decision to make. And if you don't make a decision to clean it up, I've seen it over and over and over. It's just a matter of time before you walk out those doors and you never come back. I'm just, I'm being honest. And it's not my fault. I don't even know what's going on in your life. You know what's going on. But see, God points something out and says, hey, it's time to deal with it. And by the way, he doesn't. It's a, it's a process, don't, don't get me wrong. But God will point it out, you'll start going forward, and you'll say, you know what? God will say, it's time, you gotta deal with this. And at that point, you have a decision, am I gonna deal with it? And if you don't, you know what happens? Your heart starts to get callous. It's just a matter of time before you can't receive the seed anymore. 
And so we have to prepare our hearts. That's what Matthew chapter 13 is all about, the four different hearts. But secondly, once our heart hearts are prepared, we come to the second part of verse 10. He says he's pre- he prepared his heart for a reason. Here it was, to seek the law of the Lord. Now we seek his truth even more. You see, we do what the Bible says. We start to make some changes. Our heart starts to get softer, and we're receiving the seed, and that causes us to want more. Now we're seeking his truth. We want to know what God's word says. We want to look at life through the lens of everything that God says. What do I mean? We have to have a desire and delight for the word of God. Amen. You do. Amen. Psalms 1-2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. You know, I think some people look at the Bible like we look at medicine. Remember when I, was, when I was younger as a kid, I used to have asthma, and, and, uh, and they gave me these one pills. They worked really good, but they, they had these other things they would try, and they had this one liquid stuff, and they're like, have your son try this. And I'll be honest with you, when I put that in my mouth, I, I, it, it, it tastes like taking a can of hairspray and just putting it in your mouth. Now, I don't know what that tastes like. I never did it, but I know my mom and my sister, you go in the bathroom after they use a hairspray, and you know that like, ugh, you know, the stuff that killed the ozone layer? And it's like, I've never tasted hairspray, but if I did, it'd be this stuff. It was nasty. Now, fortunately, it didn't work, so I didn't have to take it anymore. But it just tasted horrible. I didn't have a delight for that. Some of us see the Bible like that. It's just not delightful. When we understand what God's trying to accomplish in our life, we understand all of the Bible and it works together, okay? The, what, what people call positive and people call negative, the plus, and the, it all works together. How do I get that? Psalm chapter 119, verse 148, I'm sorry, says, My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved. Where do we get his word from? We find it in the pages of the scripture. You, you, you can't get past that. You say, Pastor, you sound like a, I can't even, broken record. Most of you don't even know what that means anymore. We used to say scratch CD, but you don't even know what that means anymore. Uh, an MP3 with a virus. How about that? Okay? It's like, I don't know what to tell you. You go like, what are you, I don't know. Pastor used to use them. I have no clue what he's talking about. But it's like, you say the same thing. I know, because it's true. You've got to get in the Bible yourself. You say, and by the way, we'll get to church in a minute. But if you're not in the pages of Scripture, I mean, look, let's just say that getting in the Word of God is like eating, Right? And let's just say the only scripture you even hear about and learn is on Sunday. And maybe you come back on Sunday night. That'd be two. And maybe you come back on Thursday night. That's three. Now, let me say this. You know, how many of you would only eat three times a week? Now, that's a really good diet. Because you're going to die because of it. Okay? You may lose weight, but eventually you're going to lose so much weight, you're dead. You got to eat more than that. But yet we're content with that as Christians. I came to church. I heard a little bit of a thing, and I'll be back next week. God wants us to look in the pages of Scripture. God wants to feed us all of the time. Job chapter 23. Job went through a mess of trouble. And he said in Job chapter 23, verse 12, he goes, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. Now listen to this. I have esteemed... That means give great value to. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more 
than my necessary food. Uh, think of that for a minute. He said, I need God's word more than I need food. Yeah. What if you did this? I'm not eating any day until I get in my Bible. Amen. Man, we'd have the most fit church in the world. I'm, I'm being facetious, right? It's like, I'm not saying you need to do that. I'm just saying, Job said, I'm going through a lot of trouble. Food's not even important to me, as important as God's word right now. Very important. We can't be half, I love these phrase in, in Psalm chapter 119. It's called my whole heart. It's mentioned many times. It goes, Psalm 119, with my whole heart have I sought thee. I mean, that sounds to me like he was serious about it. Let me give you a couple suggestions. We'll move on to the next point. Make sure you have a good Bible. Make sure you have a good Bible. Get yourself a Bible. Have one. And, and look at it. And, and, and bring it to church. And so when you could see what's being said and see what's going on. Okay? But you have to have a Bible. And then make a commitment to read it. Don't just carry a Bible. You got to actually look at it. How do you do Set a time. Have a place. Say, this is the time I read my Bible. This is the place I meet it. If you need it, have a plan. I, I, I don't, our church gives you a Bible reading schedule every single year. And it's three chapters a day. Now, I don't do that. I do my own because I want to read a little bit more. But I'll make my own every year, and I'll mix it up. I've done it chronologically. I've done it this, you know, the, the Old Testament twice, the New Testament three times, whatever it is. But I have a plan I like to follow, and I, I'll follow that every day. And so have a plan. If you want help, ask your Sunday school teacher. Take some notes. And that's why sometimes, and, and again, I, I do read my reading. I know. I, I, read a, 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 I read on my iPad. Okay, I can make it a little bit bigger. I take notes in it, though, and, 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 but I, I know it. And so make sure you take some notes and just don't stop. You say, Pastor, I made a commitment to stop, and I went for three, three weeks, and then I missed a day. Well, then the next day, get back started. Don't be discouraged because you missed a day, but let's get in the Bible. But it's also, and by the way, this phrase, I've, that helped me. You don't find time for the Bible, you make time for it. By the way, I've never seen anybody says, you know, I haven't eaten in a week. I just, I haven't been able to find the time. Oh, we find the time. Oh, yeah, we do. We find the fridge too, amen? But also, it's not just the pages of the scripture. It's the preaching of the scripture. 2 Timothy says this, verse 3, 16 to chapter 4, verse 2. Let me read it. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect. That means mature. Full, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You think of it that way. You have a house that has all the furniture you need. It has all it needs. That's what the word of God is. Then he says to Timothy in verse 1, which is a continuation, it goes on, of chapter 4. He goes, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season. He tells them what to preach. Uh, rebuke, reprove, rebuke, exhort we're all long-suffering and doctrine. Those four things are basically the same thing he said the Bible is inspired for. Yep. So the two go together. Now, I'm not ignorant to th think everything I'm saying up here is Scripture. We, we're trying to preach the truths of the Scripture. We're trying to take the truths and just encourage you to each individual truth. We read the Bible sometimes, and it's very concentrated, and we have to make sure we read it slowly, and we get something out of it. But you know what? Hearing it preached and hearing it taught helps us. 
One of the things that helped me as a new believer, and I gave a bunch of testimony last week in the message, but I read the Bible and I got into it and I didn't quite understand it all, but I kept reading it. And then I was going to church and I was hearing it preached and I was listening to people preach it. I was reading people that taught it. And as I did all of that, it all started to mesh together and I kind of understood it. And I understood more of what I was reading. And so get in the scriptures. Listen to the preaching. The importance of the word of God is stated in Timothy 3, but the importance of preaching the word of God is stated in chapter 4. We not only have to have a personal relationship, but we need to also be under the preaching. That's why church is so important. Don't discount church. Okay, don't discount it. You know, we can find reasons. So we've prepared our hearts. We're seeking the truth. Now what do we do? Verse 10, he said to seek that command and <clears throat> to do it. Amen. Obey the commands. Amen. Do what it says. That's not Nike Bible, right? Just do it. <laughs> By the way, you know where that phrase came from? I was a guy that was going to be uh, put to death on, on death row. And they're like, are you ready? He goes, just do it. Nike thought that'd be a really good thing. I guess her shoes kill you. I don't know. But just, he says, you know what? Do it. It wasn't just so my heart's prepared and I know what the Bible says. I'm trying to do what it says because God tells me to do it. People like to debate over all kinds of stuff in the Bible. It's almost like they want to learn something in the Bible that's not there so they can debate. It's like, you know, I don't need to debate the stuff that's not there. I have a hard enough time obeying the stuff that's already there. You know, how many of you have heard of the gap theory? That, you know, after verse 1 of Genesis, God created the heaven and the earth, and then he starts doing the stuff. In between there was another generation, and there was all this thing, and the earth went crazy. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. But I remember when I went to Bible college, I had heard about it. I thought, I can't wait to see what the Bible teacher says. And I went to Old Testament survey, very first class, freshman year. He goes, we're going to look at Genesis, the first book. He goes, now I want you to read. He goes, read verse 1. You know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. He goes, now look at verse 2. Now look at between verse 1 and 2. You see that blank space? He goes, that's a gap. He goes, and the gap doesn't say anything. So we're not studying it. There's nothing there. And that's the truth. We want to debate about the Nephilims and all these dumb things that are like, have nothing to do with reality and, and did Ezekiel in a UFO problem? No, he didn't. Okay? Why don't we just listen to what it's saying? God wants us to learn his word for one really good reason. To do what it says. That's it. Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. David said, I delight to do thy will, O God. And then he tells us where it comes from. Yea, thy law is within my heart. We learn what God wants us to do. What happens in our life, the blessings we receive or the consequences that we experience are all going to be determined by what we do with the word of God. Right? God told the people, hey, you're Israelites, you're going to the promised land. Here how, here's how it works. Do what I say, it's all good. Don't do what I say, it's all bad, and I'm paraphrasing. That's just how it works. God's not looking to judge us necessarily because when we disobey God's law, the consequences are kind of built in. God's trying to keep us from that. But it's important. As important as reading the Bible and as important as coming to church is, it's not magical. You know, look, you came to church and God didn't, you know, I don't have any spiritual spoofle dust that says, boom, you came, go. Be blessed. 
you got to do what God says. Here's two options we have. We can be forgetful as hearers. The average church and Christian who goes to church will forget what they heard by the time lunch is over. And I'm not against lunch. Kind of all for it, to be honest with you. So pastor one time, he was there, and he had a special speaker, and they were walking around the auditorium. He pointed to the back doors. He goes, you know what I call the back doors? He goes, what? He goes, I call those the erasers. He goes, why? He goes, because it's magical. When everybody walks to that door, as soon as they walk through, they forgot everything they heard inside of here. Now, he was joking around, okay? But do we forget what God said to us? Do we forget that God's trying to do something in our heart? James says this, Chapter 1, verse 22, but be ye doers of the word. Remember the verse we read about the overflowing of wickedness? He goes, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You can read the verses there. He pictures it to a mirror, right? You're forgetful. You're like someone that looks in the mirror. Ladies, I'm pretty sure you look in the mirror every morning like, okay, how's the hair? Everything good? I look in the mirror at my hair and I'm like, nailed it, okay? Ready to go. But you look in there, you wouldn't look in there and your hair's all crookedy and everything's crazy and you're like, oh, I got to fix that. And as soon as you leave the mirror, you forget about it. No one does that. You're like, well, I got to fix that thing. And some of you, it might take a little bit longer. Just kidding. Um, But no one would do that. You look and you see a problem that needs to be dealt with and you don't deal with it. And he says, that's what we do with the word of God. We hear it. God speaks to us, like, fix this. And as soon as we walk away from the mirror of the word of God, we forgot. Instead of listening. Let's not be forgetful. If God speaks to you, make sure that you listen to what he says. Are we going to listen to what he tells us and make whatever changes he asks us to do? But not only being forgetful, are we building a foundation by being doers? In Matthew chapter uh, 7, where he talks, to, he talks about the, you know, the, uh, 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 they build their house upon the, house, the rock or the sand. And he says, you know, if it's on the sand, the storm's going to come. And if you're, it's on the sand, it's going to be destroyed. But if it's on the rock, when the storm comes, it's going to stand. And by the way, we're all going to have storms. We're all building a house of our life. And you know how you build it on the foundation, he tells us. Uh, Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, Matthew chapter 7, verse 26, and doeth them not shall be likened unto the foolish man, which built his house on the sand. But in verse 24, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth the saying of mine, and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man, which built his house upon the rock. The results you receive in life, the things that everybody goes through, the results you receive depends upon are you doing it or are you not doing it. That's it. That's very simple. And then lastly, and this is really the, the end game here, not the end game, but this is the next level Christianity. You've prepared your heart. You're seeking the truth. You're obeying his commands. And now you know what he asks us to do? Share the word. He says, and teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Okay? That's why, and we're not, you know, someone comes to church and they're new here. And it's like, you know, I want to be a teacher. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to be around here for a little bit. You know why? We want to make sure that your life is trying to do these other things. And by the way, I would do it. If I went to another church and they didn't know me, I'd expect it to make me wait. Because it's not just if you're skilled as a teacher, does your life match up with it, right? You can get someone that can, that can preach the pain off the back wall. And their life is a train wreck. 
Just because they can say it nicely and concisely and they can put it in a package and they're a communicator. Uh, what is their life like? Life like. I mean, we went to a church and I'm not happy with this. We went to a church on vacation. We pulled in, never heard of the church. I went in there. The pastor was fantastic. The church was thriving. And I'm like, this guy's good. And six months later, it's like he got fired. He showed into work drunk. Now, I've been tempted. <laughs> Just kidding. You have to deal with some of my staff members? Come on now. You drink too. And not just coffee. Just kidding. And found out that he was involved in all this other stuff. While he was doing that, he was still preaching, it was, and it sounded pretty good. But God's like, what's your life like? God says, hey, I'm working on your life so that now you're ready to teach. And by the way, it's not necessarily being a teacher. Do you know you don't have to be a teacher to teach the truth of Scripture? Second Timothy, Paul told Timothy this. He goes, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Timothy, here's the things I've taught to you. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He says, Timothy, and Timothy was kind of like Paul's protege. Paul kind of trained and helped him. He says, Timothy, you've heard these truths of scripture. I want you to teach faithful men. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to teach others also. That doesn't mean they're necessarily teachers. All of us, if we're trying to live for God and do the right thing, we can be an encouragement and help to people. Do you know that? We don't need a classroom setting. We can help people. In, every, in, a, real, in a real sense, all of us are to be teachers. By the way, our lifestyles teach too. It can teach a false narrative or it can teach a new narrative. But God wants us all to teach our lips and our lifestyles. But also we teach the testimony of salvation. God wants all of us to share that. God wants all of us. And by the way, if you're not, if you're not committed to God, you won't be committed to sharing his truth with other people. That's like the, that's like the level, the top level Christianity. And now, by the way, you don't have to wait until you're like, blah, blah, blah. But, but if we're committed to wanting to prepare ourselves to hear God's word, and, and, and we're, we're, we're seeking his truth, and we're committed to the best of our ability to teach it, why wouldn't we want to share it with others? That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be a verbal witness. This is a progression. The longer you're on it, the more you're going to progress down that road. So where are you at this morning? Is your heart prepared to receive the word of God? God? Now, by the way, let me say, you don't need to be perfect, right? If you're here and you're trying to listen, God's going to speak to you. But I'm going to just be honest, as he's speaking to you, there are going to be some things the Holy Ghost is going to tap on your shoulder and say, hey, you need to deal with that. Then you got a choice. Are you seeking his truth? Is that the desire of your life? I want to know what God wants. And then if you find out what God want, wants or he tells you to do something, are you willing to do it? And are you willing to be a testimony of his word to this world? That's a progression. Ezra was a great man and Ezra did great things, not because he was a motivational speaker, not because he was super organized, it's because he loved God. And he was the right kind of person here and God said, I can work with that. And that's what God wants to do with us. He'll get us to that point if we're available. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for a minute. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Where are you at this morning?
Where's your commitment level to God and his word? It's easy to say we, we're committed, but it's harder to say, I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I hope that's your, I hope that's your, your goal. I hope your goal isn't just to be a churchian, it's to be a Christian. Christian means, you know, Christ, like, like Christ. Is that your goal? Is that your desire? Are you willing to get on that path and make that progress? It won't happen overnight. Maybe you're here this morning and, and the very first thing I said about after preparing your heart is salvation. You need to be saved. <clears throat> Living a Christian life is a spiritual thing and you've got to be a spiritual being. And you become a spiritual being when you receive Jesus as your Savior. Let me ask you this with no one looking around. Here's the question. Are you 100% for sure if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Or do you have any doubt at all? If you would say, you know, pastor, that's me. I'm not 100% for sure if I would die to go to heaven. <clears throat> but that's something I'd like to know, pastor, with nobody looking around. Would you pray for me if that's you? Just raise your hand and then put it down after I see it. Anybody like that at all? Okay. Let's stand this morning. Maybe God spoke to you. That's a good sign. That's a sign that your heart is there. Why don't you listen to him? The piano's gonna play. If God spoke to you, why don't you come down to this altar and speak to God and do some business with him? Maybe there's some changes God's gonna point out to you. It's like, hey, it's time to do this. It's time to get this fixed.